Welcome again to Northwest Church of Christ, Zoom Easter edition. Oh man, I didn't even know that that sentence existed a few weeks ago, and yet here we are um, in what is maybe one of the most unusual of Easter uh, church services that, that I can imagine. Um, but here we are. Uh, I do want to let you know, uh, we, have, uh, we can get up to 100 people in this room, and so if you see that participant number creep up northwards of 95 and you've got three or four people watching in one house, I enjoy, in, encourage you. You know, at church, when we get crowded, we have, you have to scoot together and get a little bit closer. Um, well, we kind of have to do that on Zoom too. So if that gets too high, if some of you could scoot together uh, and share that one screen, that might open up room for one more person to come in and uh, join us this morning. Um, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Uh, happy Easter as we celebrate, as we do every Sunday, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he got out of the grave uh, and turned the world upside down, and that we continue living into that reality today. Uh, we're here today not uh, just to see each other's faces, uh, but we're here today uh, to take the Lord's Supper together, and we'll do that here in a little bit, and as we do, and as we move towards that moment, uh, even more than we're united by technology and screens, and even more than we're united by the visuals of one another's faces. Uh, in, in this and every Sunday, we're united uh, across space uh, and across geography and across distance uh, by taking the Lord's Supper together. That all of those who break the bread and drink of, uh, of the fruit of the vine are reminded uh, of Jesus and who he is. And that's really why we're here uh, today, to remember uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ celebrated every week as we take the Lord's Supper. And this morning uh, in, in our service, uh, Lee in a minute is going to lead us in an opening prayer. Uh, Jason Carpenter uh, will do our scripture reading. Uh, we'll have a few songs, and then Derek uh, is going to do, be our communion speaker. We'll have a sermon, another song, and a closing prayer from Bill Hull. So uh, there you go. That's as close as you're going to get to a weekly bulletin right now. Uh, I hope you're all doing well, and I look forward to worshiping with you this morning. Hello. Let's have a prayer. God, we, uh, we recognize your holiness and your awesome power, uh, especially on, on a day like today where we have uh, memorialized an event that uh, some say is impossible and didn't happen and an event that we know to be true, uh, a, a beautiful thing. That, uh, that most certainly did happen. You know, we, we recognize the, the sacrifice that, that that is for you um, in, in none so unique a time as, as now. Uh, we, we think about you dwelling close with the Israelites when maybe that was, well, not maybe when that was something that, that you even said would be really challenging, but somehow you were uh, quarantined with the Israelites for, for such a long period of time. And uh, we read about the stress of, of that situation with everyone having to be together and, and see that uniquely uh, now with a, with a new perspective. And then we fast forward thousands of years and we see you do it again with your son and, and what a beautiful thing that is for you knowing how how difficult that would be to dwell amongst us sinful people and yet you sent your son who then uh, 
made that possible. We thank you for the, the technology and the, uh, the hundred spaces that we have in our, in our digital church to worship together. Uh, looks like we still got 13 spaces left and we pray that you would, uh, you would fill us up with, with those that, with those that need this today. We pray that you would bless us as we, um, as we try to be the church in um, a, a new context and figure out what it means to, uh, to be charitable and uh, loving in, um, under new rules. Oh, we thank you again for, for your son, Jesus, and what his life, death, and uh, new life means for us as a family. We pray this all through his name. Amen. Okay, uh, our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 12 through 26. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not, not even Christ has been risen. <clears throat> and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in in this life only, we are all people uh, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man <clears throat> came death, by a man has also been resurrected from the dead. For as it, as it is in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But if each... In his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his homecoming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God for the Father after destroying every every authority and, and power. For he must reign until he has put all, all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death.
All right, sorry, hold on one second. I have to find our communion speaker's face. Looks like he's having some technology issues. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'll just hop in here and, and kind of lead us in our communion thoughts this morning. Yeah, one more second. Um, you know, kind of like I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, ah, there he is. Go ahead, Derek. All right. <clears throat> well, uh, we're at the, the point of the service where uh, oftentimes we, uh, we focus on the pain and the suffering of Jesus. And I think those are, <laughs> excuse the noise, I'm not alone, obviously. Um, <laughs> we often focus on the pain and suffering of Jesus' death, which is uh, certainly an important part of the, the conversation that we should be in during this Lord's Supper time. Um, you know, the, the pictures that we see in verses like Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant with, uh, uh, being pierced for our transgressions, being crushed for our iniquities and all of that. Those are, those are important images. Um, but it's also important to look at the, uh, the hope and celebration, uh, as, as we've talked about already this morning of, of Jesus resurrection. This is where our victory is. This is where our, our hope comes from. And so, uh, seeing Jesus come out from the grave gives us the hope that someday we have that opportunity to do the same. So I'm going to read from John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. We see here that Jesus himself is taking part in the celebration of his resurrection. Uh, it seems like he's having a little bit of fun with Mary. Uh, she doesn't recognize him right away, and he doesn't go out of his way to talk about who he is. He simply says her name uh, as a way of indicating who he is, and, and her eyes are open, and you can hear the, the joy and the celebration in her exclamation of, of teacher and in, in her recognition. And then telling her, don't, don't cling to me. Don't stay here and weep about this. This is a celebration. Go tell the others. Go tell uh, the disciples that I'm here, that I've risen. And so Easter, especially being an, an opportunity, you know, I, I've enjoyed seeing uh, on Facebook, even from people that are not typically very religious, uh, seeing them comment about the coming resurrection celebration. And, and I, I love being able to see that because hopefully for today, uh, a larger portion of the world is turned to looking to Jesus and, and seeing that he raised from the dead and, and celebrating the fact that we have hope through him. And I want to read another part of, of the scripture that was read already, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 22. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ 
shall all be made alive. And so we see here the, the celebration, the, the hope that we have. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can be raised to be new with him in heaven. So today we remember the, the body and the blood that were given, but we also look at the hope that comes through this resurrection from the dead. If you would all please pray with me as we prepare for the taking of the bread. <clears throat> Dear Lord and God and Father, we're so grateful for opportunities, Lord, that we know we have weekly to, to celebrate this, this supper, uh, but hopefully for those extra people today who are celebrating uh, your death, your son's death, burial, and resurrection with us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to always be mindful of, of the life that was given in place of ours so that our life could be saved, the blood that was poured out for us, that we could be cleansed. But most importantly, Lord, for, for the resurrection of Jesus that, that gives us the hope to someday be resurrected with him in a new life. Lord, we ask that you help us as we take this bread to, to look at our lives and to see the places where we, where we need to grow and to change and to, uh, to ask your forgiveness. Lord, we, we know that we're not perfect, but that we're made complete and perfect in you. Lord, continue to bless us as a church as we, as we go through this service, as we focus on this, this resurrection of your son. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. again as we prepare for the, the taking of the juice. <clears throat> our Lord, we continue in prayer, continue in our thoughts as we are mindful of the sacrifice of your son. Lord, we know that uh, as humans, Lord, we are, we are covered in, in sins and covered in iniquities that, that we, can't, we can't get rid of on our own. But Lord, you, we thank you so much that you provided the blood of your son that could cleanse us of our sins, that could meet us in baptism and, and, and heal us from our, from our evil, from our, our sick ways. Lord, we ask that you help us always uh, live as those who have redeemed, to live as those who have been cleansed by the blood of your son, that we are imperfect and that we do not have everything put together, but that we have been made whole in you. Lord, thank you so much for this this reminder that we get. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting for us at Northwest um, is that one of the things that, that I know as a church family we love the most is that we're not a completely cleaned up, professional, performance-oriented, sanitized group. And we love that when we come together, uh, it's a little bit like an organized riot. Um, and and. Zoom and the times that we sign on and log on uh, kind of gives us a little bit of that, but it, it, it creates in me this longing for our togetherness when, when we start going through kind of the muted part of this 
And so I actually loved one of my favorite parts of this service was Derek starting his talk uh, while being interrupted by a baby. I thought that's like the most Northwest moment so far of our service. And, and so I missed that. Um, Alton, can you just give me like an amen just so I can feel it real quick? Amen. Yeah. Alton, give me an amen. Amen. Are we blessed amen. to celebrate Jesus today? We are indeed. All right. I'm going to mute you back because I'm scared of interruption. <laughs> but, oh, and here's my own interruption. I'm going to do my lesson now, okay? Um, but it is, it, it's a weird thing to be doing this. It's a very, very unusual Easter Sunday. Uh, it's not what we expected uh, at all. And so we're kind of dealing with things and going with uh, the changes and the transitions as they come at us. Okay. I made the mistake of making a joke about wanting to be interrupted, and this is what I get. So, um, it's a most unusual Easter morning. Uh, it's not the one that we hoped for or expected, um, but it is, is where we are. We live in a world that uh, is full of, of learning how to live in this new normal every day. I have done six months uh, of dishes in the last three weeks. I don't even know how it's possible, um, but nonetheless, I'm doing them. Um, my family just eats and eats and eats. I don't know where the food is going, um, but you know, here we are. Um, I've learned more about masks and uh, how to wear them. And uh, I went to the store the other day wearing my mask and I had on a hoodie and and, and, and I went in and, and I thought, I feel like I should steal something just because I'm dressed like a robber. And I feel like if I'm going to dress like a robber, I should, I should take something with me. Um, but I didn't. I didn't. This is not a confession. Um, so it's a different world uh, that we live in today. And it's an Easter that is certainly full of surprises and, and shocks. And, and it's not what we expected. And to some extent, that is not unlike the very first uh, Resurrection Sunday when Jesus rose from the grave. Um, and there was much about that day that was surprising and shocking and not what anyone expected uh, who had been following Jesus or who had been part of his trial or his uh, crucifixion or those who had been um, his disciples and apostles. None of them thought that they would find themselves where they were uh, on the Friday when Jesus was crucif crucified, or on the Sunday where he got out of the grave. It was a weekend full of plot twists and changes and surprises and unexpected events. Um, but you know, a lot of times the things that we think are the most surprising may not have actually been the absolute most surprising on that, on that weekend for the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we think that the most unheard of part and the most surprising part of the resurrection was that Jesus, who was dead, came back to life. And yet, to some extent, resurrection was not an entirely unheard of idea in the world of uh, the disciples and the apostles and, and even the first century Jews uh, where Jesus did his, his ministry and his teaching and his life. Um, sometime before the ministry of Jesus started, there was a, a Jewish revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. And the Maccabees, and uh, some of their writings, would write about how their enemies could, uh, could kill them and pull them limb from limb. And it didn't bother them because they had faith and confidence that even if they were killed uh, in the revolution, that God would put their bodies back again and make them whole once again. That they could not be afraid uh, or not be terrified of any enemy who could do them physical harm because they had an expectation that Jesus, that God, not Jesus, they didn't know about him yet, that God would uh, resurrect them and put them physically back together. And maybe not in this life. There was a large spectrum of beliefs uh, among the Jews about what it would be. Uh, some thought that the resurrection would be um, much later and it would be a more um, a delayed thing that they would wait for. Some thought it would happen more quickly, uh, but there was different views on the afterlife in Judaism uh, during this time, but it was not unheard of to believe that Jesus, that, that Jesus could be resurrected. And one of the reasons that we know that is that even the apostles in their own following of Jesus and his ministry had seen Jesus bring back to life Jairus's daughter, a widow's son, and Lazarus. 
And so the idea that someone who was dead could come alive again uh, wasn't theoretical for them. They knew from having seen Jesus's own ministry and seeing the power of God working in Jesus and through Jesus, that he had power over life and power over death. Uh, in Jesus's own ministry, he has conversations where he says this kind of stuff. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. I want to look a little bit at the story about Lazarus's uh, being brought back from the dead. And it's not to say that what Lazarus experienced and what Jesus experienced are the same, because they are, in fact, very different. Uh, Lazarus, after he was brought back from the dead, uh, still died again. Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, never died again. And so we have these very different kinds of coming back from the dead. And so it's not to say that what Jesus did is normal or ordinary or expected. It, it is not that at all. But it is to say uh, that, that those who knew Jesus knew that he had power to do things that would overcome death. So in John chapter 11, starting in verse 21, uh, this is picking up midway through it, uh, Martha says to Jesus, and you'll remember that the word had been sent to Jesus that if he could return, Lazarus was sick, and Jesus waited two days so that the, the apostles might understand that Jesus was who he claimed to be and that he was more than just a prophet and more than just a good teacher and more than just a leader, that he was, in fact, uh, had authority to bring people back from the dead. And they wait two days, and they finally go back to Judea. And when they get there, uh, Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha's faith here is remarkable. And it's really an injustice to Martha that the only story she really gets talked about in a lot is the one where she was in the kitchen and wanted Mary to come join her. And we're often critical of Martha for, uh, for not being uh, at the feet of Jesus as Mary was. And, and, and there's kind of a whole mix up, I think, around that story. But in this story, Martha makes some incredible statements of faith. Uh, she should be getting incredible uh, credit in the memory of the church as we look back on her and her, uh, her life and how she interacted with Jesus for some of the things she says in this text. And here's what I want you to hear. She says to Jesus, without hesitation, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She doesn't say maybe you could have done something or who knows what might have happened if you had got here earlier. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You would have saved him. And then she says something even more incredible. Even now, she believes God will do whatever Jesus asks. The way that she says this, uh, she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask of him. Martha is implying in this statement, Jesus, I believe that if you ask God to bring my brother back from the dead, that it can happen. That is incredible faith. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha's response to that statement gives us a little bit of insight uh, into some of the things that were understood and thought in the world that they're living in and where all of these conversations are happening. Uh, Martha answered. She says, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She expresses her confidence that her brother, like all good people who are part of God's kingdom and part of God's family, would be resurrected at the last day. Um, this is before we have Christian teachings on how uh, there will be resurrection as Jesus is resurrected. This is prior to all of that. What we're having here is an insight into Jewish understanding 
of what will happen in the afterlife. What she says is that she believes that Lazarus will be resurrected and rise again, that there will be this bodily resurrection, but that it will come not on the day that she wants it to happen, but in what she calls the last day. And when you start talking about the last day uh, in Jewish thought, what you're talking about is the expectation that Messiah is going to come and usher in this new messianic age, this new age of, uh, of the last days, or this new time of the kingdom of God coming to this earth, this new time uh, of, of expectation that things are going to all be made right the way that they're supposed to be when God puts everything back together again. Uh, the expectations of the last day were sometimes described as when the kingdom of God arrives or when Messiah shows up. And these conversations come up all the time in Jesus's ministry. John the Baptist preaches that the kingdom of God is near. When Jesus sends out the 72 uh, to go on their mission trip, they're supposed to tell the people that they come in contact with that the kingdom of God is at hand. When the Samaritan woman is talking to Jesus at the well, she says, we all know that when Messiah comes, he will explain to us all of these things we have questions about. Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the last days or in those days. And all of these teachings are coming up or giving the idea over and over again about the Jewish expectation that when Messiah comes, the world is going to be changed and things are going to be made right and that nothing is going to be broken like it is now and like it has been all along. God's going to put it back together. So we go into the Lazarus story, and I wanted to look at that to, to just let you hear that the idea of resurrection is not new uh, in the story of Scripture. It's not new in the story of the Gospels that when Jesus gets out of the grave, that that isn't the first time that a dead person came back to life again, even in the several years of Jesus's own ministry. What is surprising, and there's a number of things that are, are very surprising about the resurrection, uh, is that were not expected by the Jews, and were not expected by the apostles, that were not expected by the rabbis or anybody else. Uh, and I want to talk about those for a few minutes because I think it helps us understand how we need to be thinking about the kingdom of God today. The first really surprising thing about the resurrection uh, is the idea that the resurrection of Jesus and belief in him um, has anything to do with the idea of the kingdom of God. For Israel, when you talk to anyone that Jesus interacted with and ask them, uh, what will the kingdom of God be like? They would have told you things like, uh, the kingdom of God means the end of Israel in exile. The kingdom of God means that the pagan empire that is over us will be overthrown. It will mean that Israel will be exalted and placed in a seat of honor. It means that Yahweh will return to Jerusalem that Yahweh will return to Israel and to the temple, and that he will return for the purpose of judging those who were in the wrong and saving those who were in the right. It meant nothing short of the total renewal of a world order that puts God's people with God over them at the top and brings the rest of the world into submission and subjection to Israel and God. It meant the establishment of God's good justice for the entire universe. And really, it wasn't about private uh, existential, private personal spiritual experiences. And so often in the world that we live in today, when people talk about the kingdom of God, what they have in mind is a kingdom that is all spiritual and is not political. That's all about uh, internal personal transformation, and that isn't about the transformation and, and correction and the making right of all of the universe. But for the Jews, when they talked about the kingdom of God, it was not a private, personal, inner life kind of transformation. The kingdom of God meant the world will look different the day after the kingdom of God shows up than it did the day before it arrived. Things will never be the same again once the kingdom begins. It was about public events. It was very visible. So if you went up to uh, any of the people who listened to Jesus in his preaching and his teaching or saw the power and miracles that he performed, and you said to them, the kingdom of God is here, 
And you said, and by that, I mean that you can, can have your sins wiped away and you can have a clear conscience and you'll have forgiveness. Um, things are going to be different for your inner life from now on. You'll get cleaned up. Uh, and this has happened for me. I've experienced this. Uh, they would look at you and say, I'm glad that you've had this spiritual experience. I'm glad that you're feeling better about yourself and this new moral kind of living. Um, but you need to understand that I don't think that has anything to do with the kingdom of God. Look around you, they might say. The kingdom of God isn't here. Many Jews remain in exile. The temple has not been restored. Rome continues to rule over us with Caesar uh, being our oppressor. We're still waiting for our liberation. Evil, injustice, pain, and suffering are still ravaging people's lives. How can you claim that the kingdom of God is here? There's an unusual thing that the very first Christians, mostly Jewish Christians, started claiming immediately after the resurrection that the kingdom of God had begun, that the reign of God had officially been inaugurated and that the world was different than it had been. And this is an unbelievable claim to people who would have otherwise looked around and said, things don't look that different. Things still look broken. And yet the early Christians immediately started proclaiming, this is the kingdom of God. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the kingdom has arrived. Even while they were suffering and being persecuted, they said the kingdom of God is here and this is it. It is the church. It is the body of Christ. It is this group of people that have the spirit of God living and dwelling in them, changing the world. And they kept proclaiming that. But where do they get this idea that the kingdom of God still meant what it had always meant, but that it was happening in a way that nobody had expected? How did they make sense of that? You know, and not only was it not the kingdom they expected, or was it different, at least in the way that it presented, than they expected, but the king was also very different than they expected. The Jewish people would have expected a king uh, who was a leader like Moses, a ruler like David, a prophet like Elijah, or maybe even a conqueror like Joshua. They would have expected that when Messiah showed up, that he would be uh, one that they would follow, who would be this unbelievable leader, this one who would bring about uh, the, the exaltation, the raising of Israel to the seat of honor. But they didn't expect the Messiah to be himself divine. They did not expect Messiah to be uh, part of God, to say things like, God is in me and I am in God, and now if you're in me, God will be in you. And, and the things that Jesus taught uh, were shocking to those who were hearing it. In fact, those teachings would have seemed blasphemous to first century Jews, and it often did. Often Jesus would do things and they would say, how can you do this? Only God should be able to do the things that you're doing and say uh, the things that you're saying. And Jesus would continue to do them because he was, in fact, divine. He was God in the flesh. And so when God showed up in the flesh, they especially did not expect that it would be born, uh, that God would be born in a manger, that Jesus would be a commoner. Jesus would spend time with sinners and tax collectors. They thought that he would overthrow Caesar's government, not be crucified by Pilate, an officer of Caesar. This wasn't the kingdom they expected, and it wasn't the king they expected. But almost immediately, these apostles and disciples and followers of Jesus went from being very confused about every teaching Jesus gave them to boldly proclaiming against all evidence to the contrary based on their expectations, that Jesus was not dead, was alive again, was the Messiah, was divine, and the kingdom of God is here. And it's hard for us to even imagine how absurd this would have, uh, this would have sounded to the people that, that they were preaching to. It's hard to imagine how uh, unusual uh, this would be to that audience. Um, but honestly, it would be like for, for Paul and Peter and James to say, uh, the kingdom of God is here while Caesar remained in control and things didn't look better than they used to, would be like me going on TV today and boldly proclaiming 
It doesn't matter how bad things look in the world right now. The economy's in a shambles, unemployment's at an all-time high, a disease is traveling around and it's confusing and we're all locked in our, our, our homes doing so many dishes. In spite of all of that, this is heaven. This literally is heaven. We've made it, we've arrived, you're in paradise. Welcome to your forever eternal blissful home. People would, would be right to tell me that I'm out of my mind. They would say, this is not paradise. In the same way that people who received the gospel in the first century would have said, this is not the kingdom of God. And yet the Christians kept saying, it is, it is. And Paul explains why it is that they said that and believed that in 1 Corinthians 15. And the whole chapter develops it at length. I just want to read a few verses of it to you today so you can understand why it is that the Christians said, this is the kingdom of God in a world that didn't look like it was. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he come, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. What Paul is describing there and in the rest of that chapter is a two-part implementation of the kingdom of God. It's, it comes in two parts. The final part will happen uh, ultimately and completely in the last days when Jesus hands the kingdom over to the Father. But the first part of the kingdom of God's arrival has already begun and been inaugurated in Jesus Christ, the first fruit, the one who became uh, the Messiah when he died on the cross to save us from our sins and was resurrected to invite us into being the resurrection people. The kingdom of God will be completed in the last days, but it has already been fully begun and inaugurated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first fruit of the kingdom to come because of the resurrection. And so now Jesus is placing every enemy of God under his feet. Enemies like evil and injustice, poverty, illness, suffering, racism, all of the evils and ills of this world are the enemies of God, and Jesus is continually putting them under his feet. Finally, the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Jesus continues to defeat the powers that resist God in the world. Today, he does that through his covenant people who live by his Spirit who come together as the body of Christ, continue to doing the things of Jesus in this world, and even greater than him, though he is gone, because the Spirit is with us and in us. And so Jesus says, if you believe in me, you're never going to die. And if you believe in me, you're going to do even greater things than I have done. And Jesus has this idea that the kingdom of God begins when he is resurrected and the Spirit comes into the people, and the people begin doing the things of Jesus in the world, defeating the enemies of God every single day. You know, it may look today like we're not living in the, the era of the kingdom of God, that we're not already living in paradise. But to those of us who believe and have the Spirit dwelling in us and working through us, uh, gifting us and calling us to be Jesus in the world, we are already the kingdom. And we are already living kingdom life into the world. And we are already bringing about the restoration and redemption of the entire creation. It includes the inner transformation, the forgiveness of sins, uh, the grace that we need to be saved. But it also involves us becoming part of a kingdom that is every single day working to transform this world to look more and more like the kingdom of God that will finally be implemented in the last 
days. Jesus is already King of kings and Lord of lords, and he sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the day that he will fully and completely bring the reign of God into this world as we continue to push forward in our lives, in our ministries, in our families, in our homes every single day. And so the first Christians proudly proclaimed what we continue to shout to every corner of the earth today, Jesus Christ is Lord and the kingdom of God is here. And praise be to God that the best is yet to come. As Alton uh, has just sent me a note that reminds us as, as we get ready to do kind of a song and, and have a closing prayer, Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. We are the people of the kingdom of God. We are the people uh, of the kingdom of heaven, and we live it into the world every single day. Uh, this time we're going to have a song, uh, and then after that, uh, Bill Hole will lead us in a shepherd's prayer uh, and, 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 and close us out. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon Him. One final breath He gave, as heaven looked away, the Son of God was laid
Okay, can everybody hear me all right? Just nod. <laughs> all right, pray with me. Father God, thank you for this time that we have to meet as a family and most of all, Father, to celebrate this special day. Father, we celebrate this every day, but on a day when the world stops to reflect on the emptiness of the tomb, Father, equally we celebrate. Father, you have blessed us so much recently. We're thankful for the positive results that have come from both Marcellus and Janet's reports. We pray, Father, that you would continue to heal them, that you would be with those who are caring for them and those who are treating them, that their cancers not only would be in remission, but they would be completely removed from their bodies. Father, we pray for Gail Schoonover's cousin, Margot, for Marie Lopez's cousin, Marva, and for Kelly Carter's friend, Beth Steiger. We also pray for Dana's friends, Diago, Nicole, and Kevin. And Father, all of these are in some form of treatment or recovery from the virus. Father, we just pray that you would protect them and keep them safe. And especially for Dana's friends, that you would keep their tests negative and help them to escape the influence of this virus as they're still symptom-free at this time. Father, we are so blessed that at least through technology, we're able to gather this morning to see others' faces and to remember that love that exists not only between you and us, between each of us to one another. We're thankful, Father, for those that have joined us from so far away throughout this nation, for Ben and Kate Jackson in uh, Colorado, and also for Bill and Nina Ladd in England. Uh, Father, it's a wonderful thing to to see their names pop up on the screen and to, to feel that love that we have for each of them. And Father, I wanna pray especially that you would heal us from this virus that has inflected so much of the world. And, and yet, Father, I'm thankful for the many lessons that it has taught us, that we're not dependent upon our own strength and our own abilities, but Father, help us to truly reflect that we are yours. I want to pray, Father, for safety for all of those who are out in harm's way, for so many within our family who are aiding in the healthcare work. Father, I ask that you would protect them and that you would put a special dome of protection over them and keep them safe from the virus. I pray for Jeff and others that are are out there helping to protect us from lawbreakers and from from those who would disrupt our our normal society. Father, protect him and keep him safe too, uh, along with so many others, Father, that are just providing services to all of us so that we can stay safe. And Father, I pray for each of our shut-ins, for those who are in our nursing homes, uh, for those who are unable to get out and to have contact. Father, I pray that you would protect them also, keep them safe and Father, most of all, help them to be encouraged by the time that we have spent together. Father, help us to use this opportunity to not only grow in our relationship to you, but to stop and recognize that you are in control. Father, thank you for our Northwest family. I pray that you would protect us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, before we finish up here, we've got a song that we're going to do for the kids. Um, Laura's going to tell us what that is, and so we're going to have kind of this kind of wrap up and move into a kids' ministry moment. Hey, everybody, grab your kids if they've wandered off into another room. We started working on our Easter songs that we were going to present to all of you before we were all quarantined at home. And so we have one of those songs ready to go. And Mr. Evan is going to share the songs and you guys can sing along with it. And we will share this song with you that we were hoping to share with you in person today. Sound. 
Thank you for being here for our Zoom worship this morning. I hope that it's been a blessing to you as you and your family enjoy uh, this day together or this month together or whatever this ends up being. So blessings on you uh, and your family. If you have prayer requests or other needs, please let the church uh, know. And with that, uh, the family of God says, Amen. Hello. 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 Hello.